adventure. I, I, I don't know if that's copyrighted. I hope Bill and Ted don't come after us. But otherwise, uh, another excellent adventure here on Normandy FM, hmm. Dragon Age Edition. I was about to say, uh, they probably got better things to do, but they are in the middle of like making a new movie, so maybe they're like super up the ass of that trademark right now. But how much money could those like movies possibly make? You I don't know. know. Like, there are people that love those movies, and you got to assume that like a bunch of kids that are like, oh, I wish I lived in the 80s are watching them now and are like totally stoked for another one. It's possible. It's possible. I don't know. I It strikes me as the same sort of nostalgia that drives Ghostbusters. And for myself, Eric Van Allen, and my co-host here, Kenneth Shepard, I don't know about you, but I, I never buy into that nostalgia. Very, I, I, I don't... Ken, I don't feel nostalgia very often. No, I'm I, not. I'm not a nostalgic person either. Not typically. And it's, it, it's not even like that whole Last Jedi, like, kill your sacred text thing, which... I know from our discussions that we love, you know, Danganronpa V3, what a game. But overall, I don't know, like, even when Pokemon stuff, I I think about what I used to enjoy when I was younger, and a lot of the things that I enjoyed a lot when I was younger was, like, Pokemon, Mm. uh, Final Fantasy X, I loved that game. Uh, I, I was really into Jack and Daxter and the Jack series for a while, but then I look at how I am when I'm older... You know, I struggle to finish a Pokemon game. I still yep. have not finished Pokemon Sword. Oh, uh, I haven't yep. played a Naughty Dog game since beating Jack 3. Jesus and uh, I, you know, Final Fantasy, I, I still like Final Fantasy, but I I don't have that, like, level of nostalgia that some people do. Like, so I feel like it came and went in waves, and I caught on to the weird wave because most people are either nostalgic for, like, playstation one final fantasy or mm. they're nostalgic for super nintendo final fantasy mm-hmm. but i'm the weird guy who's like what about final fantasy 10 and everyone's like shut up titus laugh ha ha and i'm like you all suck <laughs> i i had the same thing because like i there was probably like a close to 10 year gap between me finishing a pokemon game like probably the last time that i really sat down and got invested in one was like x and y and then it wasn't until the uh, the Let's Go games that I was like finally mm. back in it. and that was largely due to like Detective Pikachu the the game had kind of like brought me back into that universe, but yeah, just in general because like I the the Spyro games are like one of those like touchstone games for me that I grew up on. But when the remastered or remade trilogy came out, I didn't finish those games, and that was like if you told like six year old me that he probably would have lost his mind, but. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have, like, a ton of nostalgia for things. And, I mean, maybe I'm starting to get them now that I'm, like, kind of... I guess I've gotten o- older to the point where I still... I don't know, like, I, I the things that I like now are, are kind of more things that I've liked in the past, like, maybe 10 years as opposed to the last 20. So, like, I, get, I have, like, quote-unquote nostalgia for, like, Mass Effect, if that really counts, but that mm-hmm. is still fairly recent. I, uh... And I bring this up for a reason, actually. Uh, When I was playing the section of Dragon Age Origins that we are talking about today, which is Red Cliff, uh, I I felt a little bit of nostalgia, but not necessarily for, like, anything, like, any definite thing. Definitely not nostalgia for Dragon Age itself, and definitely not nostalgia for the, 
the explicit things it did, but just for the feeling that this game can give you at times with the way it handles role-playing, with the way it handles Mm. conversations and interlocking choices and the way it structures quests. It's... I feel more and more the things I want out of games are not necessarily something that can be explicitly put on the back of a box, but something that I'm going to get a feeling from. Like One of the biggest things for me last year was the auto chess genre and the auto battler genre. And those games gave me a lot of the same feelings that I got when I was playing Warcraft 3 custom games when I was much younger. And, you know, there's some lineage there to draw on, but but more than anything else, it was the feeling that I got while playing those games. And and I feel the same thing now. I'm, I'm getting ready to play Kentucky Route Zero, finally. Uh, I'd played the first act a long time ago and basically went, okay, I'm going to play this when it's finished. And I was actually finished. And playing that game just like sparks an emotion in me that Mm. very few other games do i I would say like night in the woods is probably the closest that has come to it uh that that Mm. feeling of americana that feeling of uh just an examination of i guess you would call the midwest but really just the america that isn't new york or los angeles and uh i i just find myself craving that stuff more and more and with Dragon Age Origins, uh, I I know we dumped on it. I know we dumped on this game <laughs> last episode. For Ken, for you and I, it was days ago, days ago that we dumped on this mm-hmm. game, and it was earned. Mm-hmm. But I also feel that in Red Cliff, while it's not exactly spectacular this is more of the origins that I remember. Mm. Like, this is closer to the good things that I remember from this game. Yeah. I had uh, a... And, I, like, I won't spoil, because, like, we're going to have to go forward, but, like, I had similar moments, I guess. Like, not necessarily with Redcliffe. Like, I mean, granted, like, I agree that Redcliffe is, like, at least something that is more tolerable than Circle, which we talked about last week. But I also had, like, a moment with a character in particular that I was, like... I think I had maybe had like weird built up resentment for a character that we're gonna talk about later for a long time and you know especially like comparatively speaking to characters who filled that role for me in other games and mm. to have like met this character again I mean, it's been like 11 or 10 at least been like 10 years since i last played dragon age origins i kind of was like oh there was like there were merits to this character that i guess i forgot in the years post Dragon Age 2 and Dragon Age Inquisition. I'm interested to get to that part. Uh I mean, we start out Redcliffe and and right away uh if you are a person who has brought Alistair along, which I really don't know why. I feel like again, if Win is the must have in your team at all times, Alistair is like the next most critical mm. part of your your uh your lineup. But if you, when you walk into Redcliffe, uh, Alistair stops you and, and kind of lets you in that, hey, uh, guess what? By the way, uh, I'm the bastard child of King Merrick. Uh, he is he was technically King Kalen's half brother, uh, which would theoretically theoretically put him in line for the crown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, he's told very few people about this. I mean, I think in this dialogue we have with him he he brings up that duncan did know Mm -hmm. and 
uh, obviously Arl Eamon knew, who is the person we are going to go get in contact with right now at Redcliffe, uh, because he was taken in by Arl Eamon and raised as though... I, I mean, not as though, it's not like Arl Eamon like, came out and said it, but it was... Is a Ned Stark sort of thing. You know, the more we play this game, the more I'm like, wow, <laughs> is there a lot of Game of Thrones in this game? Uh, the answer seems to be yes. <laughs> uh, but Arl Eamon took him in and kind of raised him as his own son, which led Isolde, uh, Arl Eamon's extremely young wife, uh, to resent yeah. <laughs> Alistair and eventually send him off to the Chantry. Which is how he ended up joining him with the the Templar and the the church and all that, and then eventually how he ended up becoming a Grey Warden. So all of this kind of sets up what I think is is one of the larger plot threads that we are finally starting to verge on, which is the the question of who will be king now and mm-hmm. who will lead the the human faction, and I mean fairly early on. I mean so we played it a bit out of order because of things that we know from hindsight, but theoretically, if you were playing as the game intended, they basically tell you, go to Redcliffe. They right. keep telling you, go to Redcliffe. So this is the major story beat that Bioware wants you to see almost right out the gate, right after you're out of Lothering. And I think that speaks to how important this this human... Uh, nobility line is going to be in the future mm. and I, I do think it is one of the more interesting if maybe uh, not overtly so plot lines of, of Dragon Age Origins I go back and forth on it because I'm always like oh it's another story about human kings you know it's Aragorn right. all over again it's it's everyone all over again but I do like this part of the game where you're dealing with Alistair specifically and whether he's ready to step up and own or, up or to willing. his bloodline or like, not. Or, like, if he, he outright says he does not want that. That is not the life that he mm-hmm. has ever wanted. And, you know, whether that changes or not is going to depend on a lot of things, and whether we have to even go through with that or not depends on a whole bunch of other stuff. It's a, it is, like, the beginning of one of the more interesting, I guess, conclusions of this game, because mm-hmm. it is, like, in spite of everything that we've said in the past, uh, past episodes, it is the one that at least... If not overtly in the following games, like it is something that has tangible impact on all the games. Really, like you, you see its effect ripple out in some manner in the other games. A little bit more in Inquisition than mm. in uh in two, but there is some measure of effect that ripples out from your decision here. And I'm. I'm of many minds about this, <laughs> about how that's all handled and how this specific plot line gets resolved and how everything plays out over the course of three games. But within this game, I found it interesting. And I'm already, considering that I'm way more invested in Alistair this time around than I was uh, in previous playthroughs, uh, I am interested to see like whether it hits me a little stronger this time around versus mm. other times. Yeah. Uh, he also mentions that, like, hey, uh, Loghain might also be aware of this fact. <laughs> like, don't put mm. it past him to be aware of this. Uh, but as we get into Redcliffe, uh, we meet a really panicky dude, and uh, totally th- sounds like uh, things are going great in Redcliffe. You know, everyone's having a great time. You know, it's it's all good. You know, just yeah. a little problem. 
uh, when the sun goes away, the monsters attack, and uh, that that apparently goes pretty poorly. But <laughs> uh, we we show up and Ban Tegan, who you will remember was in one of the earlier cutscenes uh, with Loghain, where he was basically telling Loghain off, and Loghain was like, "Screw you! I'm I'm going. I'm leaving." <laughs> uh, Ban Tegan is holed up here in the Chantry trying to defend Red Cliff while also get through to Arl Eamon. So already it's kind of like, hey, uh, maybe this might be Loghain's doing to some mm. effect. Uh, but we, the only way to get into the castle, as we learn, is that we need to help Van Tegan hold off the monsters for the coming night, and then he will help us get into the castle. So this this is the part I think I enjoyed most of, yeah. of this specific quest was this whole setup and getting ready for nightfall because there are a lot of little things that you can do. Like there are big things that you talk to the locals and they will tell you, hey, like go do this. And mm-hmm. they can have some measurable impact. Uh whether it's just, you know, the the villagers will be better equipped. Uh, when you fight or you'll have more npcs fighting alongside you like named npcs that have abilities and things like that uh some things we can do here even can give us a little bit of uh an advantage later on in in Mm. other quests and i like a lot of that uh that being said maybe i don't like the way it ultimately plays into uh the resolution of this defense so Ken, uh, walk me through what you did to get ready for the defense, because I did, as far as I could tell, everything possible to improve my chances for holding back the monsters. Yeah, I had, um, because it, it starts to list these things out, like, as you even hear about them passively, uh, like, it starts to list them out in your journal, so like, you're, able, you're able to keep fairly decent track of what's going on and what you need to be doing. So, like, there's things like finding these oil canisters in the market that you can uh, potentially use to, like, set enemies on fire. Um, and that, that, one, mm. that one was not even in my journal. That one was just, I stumbled upon that. I, I was like, hey, look at these barrels. And they were like, oh, hey, there's lamp oil in here. And then later on, you can tell somebody, hey, there's there's a lot of oil down there. We could use that, I guess. Yeah. And um, at some point, like, you also can talk to, like, the revered mother about basically tricking the soldiers into thinking that the maker is going to protect them by giving them these medallions and Lilian is not about that but I'm the boss so she'll get over it and uh then you can go like convince uh, a veteran I can't remember his name actually like Dwin maybe um uh yes that's right that's yeah. right yeah and you can like can go convince him to help fight because he's all holed up in his house with like a couple friends and he's like oh we're gonna you know stand our ground here they can go out and you know be in the open and die but that's not my problem but if you convince them then that helps morale because everyone's like oh this seasoned fighter is here to help us as well um Mm. and then you gotta like the one that you kind of like have to do is you have to go talk to the blacksmith who is distraught about his daughter being left in the the castle while this is all going on um i know that i think there are a couple ways to get around it but like my i was generally like i will find her when i go Mm mm-hmm but I think there might be like ways to like intimidate him instead. Yes. And... 
Yeah, mm-hmm. you can yeah. you can intimidate him. Uh, you can persuade. I did persuade, but that still results in you kind of being like, "Hey, don't worry, we'll look. Don't worry," uh, yeah. which gets you disapproval from Morgan. Uh, a lot of things here get you disapproval from various people. As I was learning, uh, yeah. I was actually doing quite a bit of reloading because I would like go through the quests and stuff. I basically I, I went through this whole setup with a party that I did not use for my actual defense of the town mm-hmm. because you're in this like general hub area, you can freely swap party members uh at will. And so I was walking around with I think it was Leliana uh Win and the dog for most of the okay. like setup. And then I switched out Liliana for Alistair, I think, when I had to do the fake medallions because mm. it turned out that Liliana did not like that you faked the holy medallions for the the knights because right. I guess that would be blasphemous. Uh, I don't really care, but no. she does, so she can just... It's really funny how you can just be like... It, in one specific case, uh, later on, uh, you can get... No, actually, it was here. Uh, you can find a kid who has gone missing mm-hmm. and get a sword from their house with a persuasion check. That's a really good sword that I put on Alistair and he was just doing like bonkers damage. And when I went back, you can either say like, Oh no, or, you know, you bring him back to his sister and, and she's like, Oh, how can I ever repay you? And you can be like, Oh, well no reward is necessary. Or you can be like, Oh, well some money would be nice. Or, Oh, I took your sword by the way. Or uh, you can be like, a kiss would be nice. And obviously, if you are romancing somebody, they don't like that. Mm. But you can just be like, leave party, do that, put them back in party, and nothing bad happens. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of goofy, but I also kind of like it that it's that freeform, I guess. It's part of this game's charm, I think. Is I that guess so. It... it is that sort of old game where you could really just play it like it's a video game yeah like they bought maybe two but i know definitely in inquisition they made it where like your choices still like get approval disapproval or friendship rivalry regardless of who's there like so everyone kind of like i guess everyone kind of finds out through i guess talking to each other what actually happens so there's not a lot of like gaming system and kind of like deceiving people to Oh, I game the system like crazy. Yeah, it's it's bad. (laughs) That like in in most in other games that would bother me to like be like, oh, I'm gonna game the system to do whatever I want and not face any consequences. But there's also that like like right now there's that sort of like wall of like not invested in this game right now that (laughs) prevents me from caring or getting morally outraged by the fact that you did it. So it's whatever. Can I do something every episode to frustrate you? That's the important part. It's what yeah, keeps it's the fun. dynamic spicy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, and, you know, this might be a good time to bring it up. I'm going to bring it up now. Uh, so at this point was when I found out that I was in a romance with Morrigan, even though I had not explicitly said so mm. at all. Uh, I knew that this was a thing in Dragon Age 1 specifically because... In later games, they usually do a much better job of saying, okay, Clarity. this will initiate like, the romance. It's, like, here's that, that the was, romance button. Yeah, there was that was when they finally started, like, labeling dialogue options, yes. like, with a heart. Like, Dragon Age, Dragon Age 2, way ahead of its time. Because it, <laughs> it is so frustrating in this game to, like, 
think you're saying one thing and then it turns out you come back later and they're like, oh, why are you flirting with somebody when we're in a relationship? I was like, I didn't realize that we were. Um, I luckily have not run into any of the issues with like, the ones we did with Mass Effect 1 where like, Morgan or Liliana thinks I'm in a relationship with them. So that's, that's chill. That's nice. I think the difference here for me is that while those work, they are also explicit in a way that can sometimes feel unnatural. So it's like, hey, mm-hmm. I've got this heart button, and I push the heart button, and I will do something that will make them like me. You know, it's, I, that that feels a little yeah, artificial I, to me. That's like a thing that's been like levied against Bioware games for a long time. I don't, I don't necessarily buy that kind of criticism because. It's not about, like, oh, I'm pressing the heart button to get the romance. It's more like I am choosing the dialogue option that has the heart because that is expressing my intent. And, like, that is, I guess, what's, what I like about that sort of, uh, like, the labeling that they do in Dragon Age 2, Inquisition, and then eventually in Andromeda, is that, like, I like that it is making my intention clear, not just to, like, the characters in the game, but, like, to me as well, to make sure that, like, the what I am intending to say is what is going to come out of my mouth. And I think that problem could just be solved here by having some sort of dialogue that is explicitly like, hey, uh, I I think we're into each other. I think we're vibing. Should we make this a thing? Right. Because for me, uh, I specifically went back to camp, I think, because I couldn't figure out how to give the, the grimoire to Morgan while I was in the town. I, I think I later figured out that you could do it. I just wasn't doing it right. Mm. But uh, I went back to camp to give the the grimoire that I'd found in the Circle of Magi to Morgan. And I, like, again, I am gaming the system a little bit, mostly because I don't want to, like, screw myself out of not seeing everybody's, uh, like, specific dialogues and all that. So I had a little guide open that was like, hey, this these are the ones that will give you this approval and stuff like that. Uh, right. And... <laughs> I didn't see the one that was... I, there was one that was like, initiate... If you do this one after giving her the grimoire, it will initiate a romance. And I was like, cool, that's the one I will do, because that is the thing I want to do next. Uh, mm. And then it was like... It, it showed me the one that was if I was already in a romance with Morgan. Mm, and I okay. was like, wait, what? <laughs> so... I think in this game, once you pass a certain threshold, like between X and Y, you will be in the area where you could start a romance. But then once you pass a threshold, you are just in the romance, I mm. guess. Uh, I don't know. I ad- but I admittedly... I, well, you, you finish, you finish. I, I was just going to say that ended with me kissing her, and then that immediately segued into another dialogue tree where then my character slept with her, which, Ken, should we just talk about those at this point? Uh, we can. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to say what you were going to say before we get to that. Oh, I was just going to say, that, like, all the systems in place for romance in this game, I guess I've never really had to deal with because my character that I end up in a romance with is fairly explicit about, you know, like expressing the intention very, very early on, which so like, he's a character that will be showing up here. I, it, mm-hmm. If he showed up for you in the spot, this is the episode where he showed up for me as well. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we can uh, touch on him later, but yeah, we can talk about him later, but, uh, 
Yeah, that's interesting that he's a little bit more explicit. I, I've only ever romanced Morgan in this game, mm. so... Gotcha. Uh, and I've had this happen before with Morgan. Uh, I don't know if it's just specific to her character or what, but... Uh, boy i thought the mass effect sex scenes were weird and then we get to this game and i'm just like you know oh these are strange if it wasn't for the music i think they would be fine but mm, that music i don't know about that i mean like or okay let me rephrase it like the ones that i have seen and like experienced i think they would be fine if it wasn't for this weird i i don't even know how to describe it music just like really loud music first of all the sound balance is like way off because the dialogue in this game in general i think is kind of low but the music is always really high Mm. so uh for me it was like this thundering sexy times music over them having dialogue options still uh but at least for morrigan hers you just kind of go into her tent which is kind of just this open air cot off to the side of the campsite and y'all just kind of start going at it and they don't they don't show anything in this game Uh, like everyone stays in their underwear basically it's very very tame in that regard uh surprisingly so honestly considering every other bioware game that's ever been made ever i mean dragon age 2 (laughs) dragon age 2 i think it's the most tame because that's explicitly just fade to black where Inquisition oh, was cool. Oh, well, but you get, like, you get scenes in that game, though. Like, I want to say it's the start of Act 2, where you'll wake up in bed with whoever your love interest is. Not yeah, but like you're also still, like, but... still in your underwear. And that world. And Inquisition was the one where it was kind of, like, where right, an M-rated in, game Inquisition went do what out, we want, like... I guess. Yeah. Yeah, which, much respect. Good choice. But, I. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this one like it was just kind of goofy i i don't know it, it, it was goofy and then it ends with going back to the dialogue which feels very weird also this i don't know the the dialogue system in this game is very strange but like it just looks strange when you're coming out of like this very intimate cutscene, and all of a sudden it's like here's the the game option bar again no. uh but also she like morgan makes a comment that was like we should probably get back to the campsite before others start looking at us weird and i was like oh right they're all like right over there they're literally mm-hmm. all within eye shot earshot everything like yeah there's just this happening over here while they're all just kind of standing over there like pretending to not notice <laughs> uh yeah, and that's that's really the extent of Rome. I mean, so again, we've talked about this before, uh, but I do want to reiterate it, and it's the one thing that I will like compliment in this regard is that Dragon Age has always been good about having romance not be an achievement trophy. Uh, right. I mean, you do get an achievement trophy for romancing somebody, but uh, it's been good about making it not feel like it was just some kind of conquest that ends in the sex scene Mm -hmm. right before the final mission but it's something that can carry through the game and could potentially break and things like that right uh and i like that a lot i think it makes these games much more interesting and and Mm -hmm. lets the narrative unfold in a more dynamic way and also lets you i feel have a better relationship overall with your entire 
not just you know not just your love interest but like the entire crew because i remember specifically in dragon age 2 there's dialogues that you have where you talk with characters who are your friends about your romance with another Mm -hmm. character and god that game is freaking ahead of its time man. (laughs) oh i'm really uh, i had a whole conversation today about why dragon age 2 is actually a good game uh and I, I won't give away like why or, or how that topic came up, but uh, y'all, I, I'm just, like just slowly being converted, remembering, like going back through Bioware history, yeah. and it's a slowly coming around. It's a weird thing because, like, I mean, Dragon Age is a game that's not without its issues, but like the fact that people like jump, like the things that people latch onto to like attack are like repetitive environments, like that that was game-breaking to you in the face of all these other, like, really smart and interesting systems and ways in which it handled the relationships. And, I don't know, it's, like... it's Dragon Age 2 is a weird game to me that we have to have, like, always have a, a qualifier on when we talk about how good it is. Like, oh, it was good, but everyone... I don't know, it's... I... Okay, again, we don't need to, like, cannibalize our own podcast okay, fine, content. Fine. But I will say that there are, like... The things that annoy me in Origins maybe don't get completely fixed into either uh in regards to gameplay and, and not just like repetitive environments but just general gameplay mm-hmm. uh on that note let's hop back into red cliff because we have to defend the town against the monsters now and ken this is the dumbest section because i really love how much you can go into preparing for this whole thing and all the different ways you can do it mm-hmm. but then when it happens uh i shouldn't have shouldn't have got the oil because you know what happens is my dumbass allies go running into the oil and all die even though we we're like hey this is explicitly like this is the trap this is the trap we're laying for the zombies that are going to attack and then one zombie kind of walks into the fire and perth and dwin are like let's get in there let's fight (laughs) and win is like i don't know what healing is i'm not gonna heal these allies i'm gonna make sure that my 70 percent mage friend is at 100 (laughs) percent and so uh that's how people die in this section is just whether their health bar drops to zero or not so the first time i played it uh i only lost murdoch who is the the leader of the militia troops but dwin and perth both survived and i was very oh and i lost uh tomas who is the archer that you can Mm. that that's like the archer from the very beginning of this whole mission that tells you that things are bad in the town uh i lost tomas and murdoch but i did not lose the elven spy who you recruit oh we didn't mention that there's an elven spy that you can like force into working with you uh because he's been spying on the castle for Loghain and you basically guilt him into helping you defend Redcliffe uh, so he can Must help you out as well him. Um, but yeah the first time I played it I I lost Murdoch and Tomas so I was like okay maybe I'm going to try this again and I'll change up my team so I had that time I had Leliana my main character Alistair and Wen and I was I was like, okay, you know, they're they're all right, but Leliana, that's two rogues. You know, this mm. that's not the kind of AOE damage control that I want. So maybe if I bring in Morgan instead of Leliana, she'll deal with the crowds better. Uh, and that time, I lost everyone. 
And so <laughs> because of the fire, because of the morons running into the fire, and I did it a third time, and that time the game broke because for some reason on that first wave at the top of the hill, uh, the zombies just stopped spawning and they just hmm. stopped, like they just did not come down the hill anymore and I couldn't trigger anything to advance. So then I loaded it again and was like, whatever happens this time, I'm keeping it. So uh, I closed this thing out having lost uh, Dwin and Murdoch. Mm, because okay. Dwin, a moron, ran into the fire. <laughs> but Perth survived. And I was like, you know what? That's acceptable losses. I looked up what you get for saving them, and it's absolutely nothing. Great. So, yeah. Uh, mm. Overall, I was really... I, I don't... This isn't a fair comparison to make, but I think about things that Bioware has done in the past that are like this, like the suicide mission and other maybe even lesser so things uh, that involve, you know, preparing. Here's a good one. Uh, in Mass Effect 1, the uh, dealing with the colonists and who are, mm. who are being taken over and uh, on Zeus Hope. And you can either go unprepared and use the grenades and save all of them, and that's still very gameplay-y, but you have a lot more control over it, versus uh, this where you just can't stop your allies from doing something stupid, or the right. game breaks. Or, and all the choices you've made, right. in fact, one choice you've made probably ends up screwing you over more than anything else. Right. If the... um. Also, Vermeer, like when you like how you basically, if you do all these things, yes, you will yeah. see that Kirahi survives. And I don't know, it, it is a weird thing to like be, to give the player all of these things. Like, okay, prepare this as much as possible, but then also like throw it all into chance of whether the AI is going to make people in a, in walk a game into with literal very fire. Bad AI. Like, let's just put that yeah. out there. I need to use tactics at this point to make sure that my moron. Yeah allies will actually use abilities when they should use abilities because otherwise mm. like i i couldn't believe it when i tabbed over to morgan and she had just been attacking all the time and then i switched her profile over to oh you should be on the offensive and then she was like oh right i have spells i'll start using those and she was instantly <laughs> just demolishing crowds of of enemies and i was like wait you weren't doing this this entire time you weren't using your spells mm. and i know that this series has tactics it has strategy it wants you to play into that stuff but i god i remember in later games not having to tell somebody to use their abilities in mm -hmm. a fight <laughs> oh like i don't know if this, that's like a pc thing specifically because like they like characters come preloaded with stuff on xbox and I've actually had to go in and, like, change things because I'll notice that, like, Wynn is using some of her uh, her mana on, like, really low-level defensive spells for the whole party. I'm like, why don't you instead use that on healing and make sure we're alive that way? Because I'm using all of these potions and I'd rather oh, not. Oh, yeah, no, there's stuff that you can fiddle with there, too, but the default loadouts that they started on were just, like you mentioned there, they were just not useful and the characters were not doing the best they were not making the best possible choices that they could be making and it almost feels like that system was designed that way to get you to engage with the game that way which is 
I understand that, but also if you're going to give a default to a player, I hardcore gamers out there will will just like curdle up at the idea of this, but you need to design to in some way at least allow for the idea that a player is not going to engage with the system that you make optional, right? If you right. if you theoretically never have to engage with this part of the game to move forward, as part of the critical path, then you can't assume that the player is ever going to open that menu of their own volition. And so the tools you hand them mm. should probably at least be able to help them, you know, eek by. <laughs> and they need to be like competent on their own, regardless of whether there's any sort of meddling with it. Yeah, yeah. The, the meddling should be ways to emphasize their strengths or, I don't know, set up very specific things. I, you know, set up a thing where if somebody's stunned then use this otherwise use this like let you really get into the if then statements not hey stop casting this spell when you already cast it and we don't need it like um anyways we survived the night your your naked mage is standing up there getting all the glory (laughs) (laughs) uh okay does your mage wear the weird like just like a loincloth sort of hammock situation uh yeah. that's oh, the yeah. thing that your character also wears in the sexy time scene and that that was jarring the first time i saw it because i was like what the hell is my character wearing <laughs> <laughs> uh, like there was no transition of taking clothes off or whatever it was just all of a sudden i was like what's going on? oh that's my character and they're just in the buff okay um so at this point tegan is like cool let's storm the castle now if you saved perth uh which you apparently did not you lost murdoch and perth as i can see here uh Hmm. if you save perth perth will tell you that once you get inside the castle if you open the gates up he will help you out inside the castle so that's like a little bonus you get for that. I think he is the only mm-hmm. one that will do that. I don't think Dwin or Murdoch will do that, but I'm not a hundred percent on that. Um, Dicks. But it, I mean, it's really like, we'll get to it, but it's, it's really nothing. Uh, but at, <laughs> Tegan's like, by the way, we're going to use my secret castle entrance to get in. And you can be like, Hey, why didn't you tell me about this earlier? He was like, well, if I told you, you probably wouldn't have helped us stop all those monsters. <laughs> I was like, okay, fair. 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 Um, but then Isolde actually runs up to us. She has gotten out of the castle, has somehow been allowed to leave, and tells us that a demon is involved. There's demon stuff going down in the castle, and uh, something's up with Connor. So... This is where we quickly learn what's really been going on, which is that a mage has been poisoning Arleman uh, in secret. And somewhere along the line, a demon got summoned and has control of his old. Uh, and of the reason that the demon wants his old specific... Or not his old, so yeah, Connor. Um, the, the reason... Mm the demon wants connor is that connor's actually a mage connor knows magic or at least has a proclivity for magic and 
Isolde hired this mage who was poisoning Arl Eamon to train Connor in secret so that he could hide his magic and not be taken away the circle of magi. Um, boy, I, hmm. Mm. I, this, this plot line's dumb. <laughs> I'm just gonna like Wait. come out and say it. I was really with the story up to this point. I was digging it. I loved the last stand against the demons, even though I'm like, okay, well, it's demons again. Big, you know, surprise. And then once I realized that we were just kind of doing the whole demon possession thing two times in a row something about doing this mission and the circle of magi back to back i was just kind of like y'all didn't have any other ideas or we're just gonna really spend a lot of time fighting demons or you couldn't have made this a political intrigue thing it's just magic dude was poisoning arl and then demons happened I don't know. I was not compelled by this storyline. Let me put it that way. <laughs> what did you think about it, Ken? <laughs> I think... I don't know. I mean, I... Especially when you... Like, we'll get to it later. Like, there's a more personal stake for a person that comes from the mage background. That part interested me. And sort of seeing how it tied into things with, like, Loghain. I don't know. Like, that part spoke to me. But in general, like... And we're only in the first game, but this is going to be the plot of Dragon Age for a while. Yeah. So, in that in that way, it's not, like, any more or less offensive than anything else. I don't know about offensive. I just, I don't know. It's, uh, let's keep moving. Because we start really ticking all the boxes once we get inside the castle. So, Tegan takes off with Isolde and basically says, I'll be a distraction uh, Isolde says that she can only come back with Tegan, cannot bring us as like an addendum. The the malevolent presence inside the castle has is allowing Isolde to leave for the express purpose of bringing back Ban Tegan. Uh, so we're going to take the family secret entrance, and once we get there, we meet uh, Jo. I always want to say Joanne, Joanne, uh, Joanne, Joanne. Begging on you, please don't take my man. Jowen. <laughs> Good lord. Um, Joan is is locked up in a cell. Jowen. Yeah, I said Joan. Jowen. Oh, whatever. It's, look, I'm not calling him Joanne, so I'm just let's meet in the middle here. Uh, mm. Jowen is in a cell, and we can learn a little bit more from him, where he basically fesses up that yes, he was the one poisoning. Arl Eamon, but he was also training Connor, and Connor ended up making some sort of pact with the demon that is now causing all kinds of ruckus in the uh, in the castle. And this is the part where I was like, okay, Jowen is a blood mage, because of course he's a blood mage because it's always a blood mage um so yeah so i i understand that there there's an aspect to this that i don't see here in in this because of my origin uh for me i was just kind of like oh it's another blood mage neat whatever Mm -hmm. uh 
this this story came off to me as very stereotypical because at this point like i had no attachments to these characters i was meeting them for the first time so for you as i understand the origin makes this story a little bit different Mm. i mean it starts out you know there's i don't don't know how like i guess you introduce yourself to him but like you know i walk up to him and he's like holy shit i never expected to see you again and then he asks like as I'm trying to gather information, he kind of, like, interrupts several times to ask about, like, the fallout of what he did over the circle. And well, he asks okay, to yeah, Willie I was going to say, real quick, he, for the listeners at home, because it took me reading about this quest later to remember this part, but for the listeners at home, Jowen is the the dude you helped out in the circle? Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Who turned out to be a blood mage. Mm-hmm. And, and they were attempting to make him tranquil, so he's like, "I gotta get out." And you help him, and then yes. he, fi- so he finds his blood bag. Then he runs away from the origin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I ended up telling him because part of me, like, not to spoil something that we're gonna talk about, but I don't have a lot of room to talk when it comes to be like wagging my finger at blood mages. So like, <laughs> I'm more willing to talk to him about just like what happened i tell him that lily got sent away with the chantry and then he tells me everything that happened and i kind of like you know you suss out that he might have been responsible for poisoning the arl but that was because logan tricked him and you know he said this was before even like ostagar so he's like why would i not trust logan like why what reason do i have not to trust this very well respected man and so finally the conversation goes on and it gets to, what are you going to do about him? And I, personally, I was just like, based on my knowledge of everything that has happened here, I have decided to just let you go. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want, like, don't, you're not sticking around, I don't want your help, but I don't want to see you again. Okay. So. <laughs> um. I... I, I think I see how the the origin could help a little bit more with this because it adds just a lot more backstory and involvement and, and you have a bit more of a personal connection. Obviously, like, if you did the human mage or the elf mage background here, like, both Red Cliff and the Circle of Magi mean a lot more to your character, whereas we're not going to get to anything that's going to tie... I mean, for the city elf... As far as I know, there's very little that I'm going to see in this game that ties into my origin in a meaningful way. Uh, it's not quite as much, like, it's not quite as bad as, say, like, the Dalish elf, where you kind of leave right. your clan and never see them again. But it's, I think there are some, this is the part where I realize there are some origins that feel like they tie into the story extremely well. Uh, they have a lot of really interesting hooks because when I read that this was how this all tied in and this was how it all went, I was actually kind of jealous. I was like, oh, Ken is probably having a way better time with this than I am because he actually gives a shit about these characters. Uh, he thinks, th- mm-hmm. or not, he thinks they're interesting. They are interesting to him because he's had more time with them. He's he's gotten a little bit more story of their struggle. To him, it's not just another oh here's there's a blood mage mm. and the demons and we're going into the fade and all that <laughs> but for me this was like two in a row of this and, and i was just right. kind of like i felt like my 
if I could really just roleplay my character, my my rogue elf, I'd just be like, y'all just need to stop doing blood magic. <laughs> Can't you just stop doing... <laughs> stop messing with demons. Um, but... I think that's going to be a running theme for us because I, I mean, not to get ahead of ourselves, but there are other places we're going like, uh, Orzammar, which will have really interesting tie-ins were either of us dwarves, but for both of our purposes, we'll just kind of be there as characters. Uh, mm-hmm. and I don't know, it's that, that maybe bums me out a little bit. There are some origins that feel like, especially that it's the elven origins that feel underserved by the by the setup because if you are if you are a human i think you can only at be least on the main and or, or noble or mage like i think if you are a non-magic right. human you always start as the noble so you don't really you have that tie-in always right. if you are a dwarf you will always come from orzammar and have that tie-in but if you are an elf mm. unless you do the circle your origin kind of gets underserved by everything else at least, like, on the main path. Like, there are some things in, like, because we're going to go back to Denarum yes. at some point. That, and there will be things that are kind of, like, on the side, like, adjacent mm-hmm. to what we're doing. But there's not, like, sort of the immediate callback mission. The one thing game. you do get playing as an elf is you get to, like, make everyone out to be racists. Which is just great. Because mm-hmm. when I first talked to Sir Perth, he was like, hello. I've never met an elf before. How should I greet you? And I was like, like you do any other normal person, you weirdo. <laughs> and he was like, okay, I'm sorry. I am nervous. And I was like, I can enjoy this. This is good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, for me, I just didn't find this stuff. As in- I'm glad that you did. I'm glad that you did, that you found this mm-hmm. interesting. I think I just got to hedge my bets and wait for the, uh, for when we go and recruit the elves. But we uh as we progress through the castle um i let i let jowan go uh i i see that you did as well so we both made the right choice in that regard because we're not assholes um and as we go through the castle we get to the courtyard where we can fight the revenant who at this point i think you already could have fought another revenant uh if you did the phylactery in the circle of magi Otherwise, this is your first encounter with this type of enemy, a much larger, more significant boss-type enemy. And this is where you can run over and hit the switch to open the gates and let uh, Perth and and some other knights in who will help you fight the Revenant, which makes that fight super easy. Like, it just kind of ends the fight right away, basically, because they all just do a ton of damage and all gang up on the guy. And mm-hmm. then on top of the magic, you're all... Like, the magic damage from, like, Morrigan and the the damage that you would be doing, it's... You pretty much just annihilate him. Uh, and then we head on into the throne room where Tegan is doing a little dance for Connor. And Isolde is just terrified, and Connor is obviously possessed. And... Uh, we we confirm at this point that connor is just possessed even though he occasionally regains enough control to kind of be like what's going on and then goes back to being a demon again uh we joe joe then shows up joe sorry i'm I'm gonna get that wrong forever 
<laughs> Jowen shows back up and gives us some options that we can think about to save Connor while Isolde gets all mad. And that's where you can kind of turn it on her and Bantigan will be like, yeah, Isolde, you kind of screwed this up. <laughs> you kind of did this all wrong. <laughs> uh, and that's where we get presented with what our options are for this quest and kind of why we did the Circle of Magi first. So to stop the demon possession, which is causing all these these uh, evil dead things to attack the town and just causing all this chaos and terror, we either need to just straight up kill Connor, because that will stop the demon from possessing him, obviously, or we can use blood magic and sacrifice somebody to open a gateway into the fade and kill the demon inside the fade those would normally be our only two options and i i think by themselves that presents an interesting you know which one are you going to do and if you mm. choose the sacrifice i believe it is always isolde that dies is as far as i know uh yeah, yeah. so isolde gives her life so the only way to get through this having both Connor and his old live are if you went to the Circle of Magi and uh, save the mages, they can then come back with the lyrium and mages that you would need to open up a natural portal into the Fade, or at least more natural than blood magic, and they will help you that way. You don't need to do any human sacrifices to do the, all the Fade stuff. Uh, so obviously that's what i did i'm assuming that's what you did yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> if it's the sensible thing to yeah, do i i saw killing connor on here and i was like uh did ken just straight up murder connor <laughs> um no no i was listing the options we but had i find this part interesting because it f it sets up the idea that if you choose this option to go get the mages from the tower even if you've already save them or i think you might be able to do it if you're just like hey maybe i should just run over to the circle of magi real quick and get some friends uh they're like oh well we'll keep connor here and keep him you know uh all set here but hurry back or else things will go bad i as far as i know if you get to this point there's no real consequence for leaving yeah i don't uh because right. if you if you go to red cliff and you initiate the whole thing with we need to defend the town and you leave when you come back red cliff will just be destroyed like the entire town will be destroyed oh dang I yes know that. uh yeah <laughs> so you can make a bad choice there but i think at this point if you leave everything's okay when you come back but obviously we're not leaving to do the whole circle quest we're just leaving to get the mages we need and come right back uh, but it's at this point that we get ambushed on the road and we meet, I mean, what I think is our final non-DLC member of the party. Uh, no, we gotta be. Oh yes. Oh, somebody, I always forget the Orzammar character. I, I, I never use them much, so I always forget them. Uh, but we do meet a new character who could join our party. Zevrin, who's trying to murder us. <laughs> casual uh Zevran's interesting i mm. like i did not like him the first time i played because i just never used him i i mm. found rogues in this game to generally be not useful 
uh i just when i first played this game my party was a warrior warden warrior alistair and then i would i kitted them out so that my warden was just doing all the damage and alistair was doing all the tanking and then i had morgan and win and they were my magic backup i never really messed around much with rogues so right in this playthrough obviously i'm not going to use zevran much in combat in my party because i already am a rogue and i don't want more rogues but Mm -hmm. uh as a character i this time around i enjoyed the cheekiness a bit more like he's just Mm -hmm. funny like naturally funny in a way that i've not found right like alistair is kind of funny like kind of clever at times but alistair Mm. uh, he's fine but zeverin actually made me laugh so i was like okay right yeah that was that was like the point where i laughed out loud that was like oh he's got me he's like got me pulling me back in because like i had for the longest time and a lot of it has become like and i don't expect this particular thing is going to change i have felt like the the character of zevran has been overshadowed by characters like fenris and dorian who took on that exact same love interest role for me in dragon Shield inquisition and you know to this day like if you were to put a gun in my head it wouldn't even like you wouldn't even need to put the gun to my head i could immediately tell you that Dorian is my favorite, and then Fenris is just under there a little bit, and then Zevran was, like, way down the bottom, like, at the bottom of my list of, like, Bioware boyfriends, but, and I think I had, like, a weird, almost resentment towards him, just because, like, he's the only option in this game for, like, a gay romance, short of, like, going to, like, the prostitutes in Denerim, and he's, like, aggressively not my type, mm-hmm. like, meh. and so, like, there was this weird sensation of, like, the only reason I am with this character is because I have no other options, so it was like, I don't know, it's it's a weird thing to like feel like you, you ended up in a relationship in a game because it was your only means of doing so, instead of like, it feeling like a very natural extension of your character and their relationship feeling like a very natural ex- extension of that story. But then like, I got here and, you know, I'm... I mean, I have to... All the things I said are still true. Like, if I had the choice between him and Alistair, I would go for Alistair. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know. Like, it was... Like, we basically have, like, a sword at his throat at this point. Like, why should we not kill you? And he's, like, super charming and witty and really sensible in a way because, like, he basically says that he has no actual loyalty to the Antivan Crows, which are where, like, the sort of, like, faction he works for. And he's, like... I'm willing to work with you if it means I'm going to get to live because I like living. Like, he, you know, he's <laughs> very pragmatic in that way. Um, so, no, like, I'm excited to, like, actually kind of, I guess, see him, like, like with renewed eyes because I was, you know, going through some of the uh, dialogue with him at the outset and you can get v- very deep into, not, like, deep in terms of, like, to the actual depth of the romance. Like, you can get, it, like, initiated in that romance fairly quickly, like, within, like, the first conversation. Mm-hmm. And at, at the time, it's, you know, framed like a fling and just, like, this mutual attraction, and that's fine. That's all well and good. But it is one of these the sort of, like... Like, you're talking about with Morgan, like, there's, like, points where you didn't realize you were getting into the relationship, but you already were, or it was very easy to kind of accidentally get into it. Where here, here it's just, like, very straightforward. He's like, I'm attracted to you. Is that okay? And then you can be like... No, or yes, but, like, you're kind of wasting your time, or be like, it might be mutual, who knows? 
And, like, I'm sure, like, the next time I go to camp, we can do it, and it'll be perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. He's, yeah. I'm probably not going to have as much interaction with him as you do, obviously, because you are romancing him, but I did find him mm-hmm. just immediately more charismatic than most of the other characters in this game, and that includes, like, yep. Eliana. And, well, like, Wynn has just been... Every time I accidentally click on Wynn, she's like... Do you think you're serving the Grave Wardens well? (laughs) And I'm like, yes, when I'm doing my best over here. But you could be serving all of them. Great kings. And I'm like, shut up, (laughs) Wynn. Like, god dang. (laughs) I wish the dog could heal. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. So... Once once we've recruited Zevran, which for me, Morgan was instantly on board, Wynn was like whatever, and Alistair, you note here, like you have to kind of pass a persuasion check to like make him cool with it, but ultimately he is. Uh I think it's just a matter of like approval, disapproval yeah, at the end of yeah. it. He do, he he approves if you persuasion check him. Uh and then eventually we yeah, Poe, I know. We're almost done with Poe. Poe hasn't been around for a few episodes. He's finally got takes now that we're talking about Zevran. So Poe's got taste. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we get to the circle. We talk to the first enchanter who's just like, yeah, let's gear up. Let's go road trip. And then you walk back. <sighs> Which made me kind of yep. go like, why couldn't this all just be one cutscene? <laughs> but yeah is what it like why even, why even have to go back like or, I don't yeah know. If, if we do have to if we do have to go and get them to do the zevran thing or whatever which you don't need to i guess that's like I, yeah that'll proc i think the way that works is that happens after your whatever yeah you whenever you hit your first quest after like you do your first major thing after Lothering and then you get the cutscene that introduces Zevran as an agent that's going to be the assassin for Logan and then the ne- while you're doing the next quest whenever you hit the map next he will ambush you that's as far as i understand that's how right. it works but uh whatever couldn't just cutscene us back we got to tread back although it was kind of fun that on the way back i fought some dark spawn and some mages helped me out and mm-hmm. you can talk to one of them and he's like yeah we're training them to fight the dark spawn so we're just hanging out here we're moving between towns and stuff it's it's cool and all that and i was like neat <laughs> uh so now we go into the fade and for me obviously i'm not a mage and the way that this works is you have to pick a mage to send in so you can send jowen for me i could send jowen win morgan or i could try and convince first enchanter irving to go in uh i sent Hmm. morgan because morgan okay and also because morgan's op i'm assuming for you (laughs) since you are a mage you went in yeah so I will talk quickly about my experience because yours is, again, going to be markedly different than mine. Uh, Morgan goes in. It's just kind of like, I don't have time for all this bullshit. I'm just here to kill a demon. (laughs) And then you kill a demon, and that's about the end of the quest. Uh, 
So do you do you pick any dialogue options? Is you that... can have dialogue options, but it's really just Morgan being like, "Oh my God, will you shut up already? I just want to kill you," <laughs> which is entertaining. At least I, I enjoy that they at least recorded voice lines of her just being like, "I'm not falling for your tricks. You're not going to trick me. I'm here to kill you." <laughs> uh, <laughs> I did enjoy that, but obviously for you a not morgan you probably had a much more interesting experience with the desire demon that is inside connor's mm-hmm. head yeah so like you get a not you when you first go up to her or the because you've had to fight her like several times mm-hmm. at the point and when you get to like the final one and she's like can we can we just talk about this first you can you can start off maybe like not nah, and just immediately mm-hmm. fight or you can kind of entertain the notion of like maybe we can settle this without fighting each other and she proposes that she will leave Connor now, but come back after the blight, like years after the blight. So like, it won't necessarily interfere with anything that you're doing, but it you will like she will get what she wants eventually, and you get what you want now. Mm-hmm. And um, then you can kind of be like, well, what what's in it for me? And there are a couple options. One, you can have sex with her, which if that's your thing, sure, go ahead, do that. <laughs> um. Or you can, or you can get the blood mage specialization, and so the interesting thing here is that specializations are not locked behind unlocks within each playthrough. It's by achievements, I believe. So I already started out this playthrough with all because, like, I had you know back in the day, I had uh, made a point to like unlock every specialization, even even if it like reload and saves mm-hmm. to do it, and so I already had the blood mage specialization unlocked and. It's one that I actively use, mm-hmm. and it's that's sort of been like a. That's like one of the like, bullet points of like, the story that I write for uh-huh. my warden is that he is a blood I liked mage. Your, in your notes and, for the listeners mm-hmm. at home, in your in your notes above, when you make a note about, when can be like, oh, he's a blood mage, and you're like cutting hand open and dripping blood everywhere. Oh yeah, a uh, blood mage. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's one of those things where, like, there's, like, this distance between, like, I am actively using this thing that everyone is trying to, like, demonize. But, so, th- because of all, all of that way th- the system works in the game, I was able to maintain that specialization and that part of, like, my warden's story without having to make this deal. And I can kind of, like, I guess imagine how, whatever scenario in my head I want that is how he came about learning how to use blood magic. But that's, you know, that's the option that some people might take. I don't know, I've never met somebody that makes that their, like, canon choice to be like, okay, I'll learn blood magic, and basically in exchange for this kid's life. But, uh, so, since I already had it, and was able to work that in however I felt like, I was free to kill her, which I did. (laughs) Did you kill her with blood magic? Did did you actually... I uh, know I should have. That would have been poetic. I should have thought to do the, that. The one thing that I noticed while I was playing as Morgan that I completely forgot was a thing uh, is that she is a shapeshifter, but she can shapeshift in combat. Mm-hmm. So I saw a thing on her taskbar, and I was like, oh, is that a thing that like infests with spiders or something? And I hit it, and then it like paused for a second, and then all of a sudden she was a giant spider, and my camera was super zoomed mm-hmm. in on it. So I was like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was grody. But luckily, you can change mm. right back. 
<laughs> and then just hit her yeah. with winter's grasp or whatever it is over and over and over again um so that's kind of the weird thing is that so here here's the other weird thing from what i understand there's a persuasion check i think you can do in this that will make it so the epilogue later in the game implies that the desire demon never comes back and you get the bonuses from it which is super weird Mm -hmm. but otherwise uh we both got the happy ending i guess which is you see a bunch of boats being sent out and given viking funerals uh next to red cliff castle but we you know everybody who is a main character let's say survives and we get told okay well everything's good but arl Eamon still hasn't woken up from all that poison he has been eating for a long long time so uh we still probably need that urn of sacred ashes and it just kind of leaves off there with isold giving you one little hit to to go find brother genitivi in denerim if you want to start chasing after the urn of sacred ashes that's obviously a thing that we'll have to get to later but for now uh and i'm opening up my schedule to double check and ken this is a good time for you to open up your gmail and check uh so you can thank our wonderful patrons because once again i forgot to get access (laughs) to our list so i can't be the one to thank them but uh once again, we just want to thank everybody out there who uh, listens to the show every week, who tunes in. Uh, you are soldiers with us on the long, dark road that is Dragon Age Origins. Uh, we we really appreciate everybody that tunes in, everybody that engages with us. Uh, we're announcing a bunch of really cool stuff right now. Uh, Ken just announced uh, that he will be part of a Bioware panel at PAX East which is very exciting. Mm -hmm. Uh, I will also be at PAX East. I'm not going to be on that panel. And sadly, I can't attend that panel because I have one going on at the same time. But uh, we will both be in the same city and obviously trying to hang out. This is not a promise of any sort of meetup situation. But I know there is at least one night where Ken and I will likely be visiting some friends of the show over at the sdgc meetup that they're doing so maybe we can just you know kind of phone in on their stuff (laughs) and kind of attach ourselves (laughs) we'll be around we'll be around so yeah if you see us in boston that's that's going to be at the end of like the very end of february uh and we'll bring it up again on the show in fact by that point i think we'll be done with origins proper like we will be done with the actual game game of origins depending on how we do our recording uh our last episode will come out right after pax Mm. east but depending on how ken and i do our recording we might actually just be done ourselves playing this game by then which is just a wonderful thing to think about uh but we do want to shout out everybody who supports us uh by supporting our patreon that's patreon.com slash normdfm can tell us who the wonderful high level patrons are shout out to anthony matthias chris johns Ginny Wu, and I, i'm sorry kevin kevin kolakowski i think that's right please let eric know uh-huh. if that's wrong yeah, tweet and at me let me know blame ken this time and maybe <laughs> and maybe, maybe then he'll finally 
get the login back and can be the one that says please it wrong tweet at me and tell me what the password is to the email <laughs> no ken has the access he's just holding it from mm. me because he's still mad about the whole skip the fade thing uh thank you all so much uh if you want your name shouted out every week by ken or hopefully at one point by me uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash normdfm and support us there. That will also get us closer to our next tier. Uh, we obviously have some Dragon Age to go until we start thinking about what that next level is. But if we do get there, I believe Jade Empire is next. That would be after right. yeah. Dragon Age. And then there there is more after that. Do not worry. But uh, if you want to support us, if you want to get us to that tier, if you want to see us keep on keeping on that is always an option and uh next week we will be covering covering the brazilian 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 i never know how to pronounce this right brazilian forest and we will have another lovely guest back on caitlin galiz Rowe. they will be joining us we're very happy about this uh I love having guests on the show, Ken, because it means that we get to have other people who are excited about things, and that means that I don't have to be excited about things. I get to be cynical about things. <laughs> I mean, we're already doing plenty of that, but, you know, it's it's nice that there was, like, a, st- a stash of no- extended Normandy FM family who actually likes this game uh-huh. and want to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, we... And isn't just pining for Dragon Age 2 and Inquisition Yeah, no, there... We, we do have a number of people who have explicitly told us hit me up when Dragon Age 2 and Inquisition <laughs> roll around. <laughs> Which, look, I don't blame them. But for the the guests out there who are showing up for Origins, who are hopping in when the just the worst shit is happening, <laughs> we, we, uh, we really love and respect y'all. So uh, shout-outs to our wonderful guests who, who do things like this and who show up on our panels at, at you know San Antonio Paxes and things like that. We always love having them on. Uh, but that's going to do it for this week, Ken. We got through Red Cliff. It was largely painless. Uh, hopefully, it's just smooth sailing from here out. Uh, can't imagine that there's halfway through anything happening happening on uh, February 26th. You know, some sort of long, possibly <sighs> labyrinthine uh, dungeon that we will have to explore that will make me wish that there was a skip mod again. Uh, definitely. Is there not? Oh, there probably is, but I won't. I won't seek it out for that one. This is. I mm. specifically hate the fade in ways that we did okay. not have time <laughs> to record. Uh, but they mostly revolve around it's. It's the worst Metroidvania I've ever played. Um, <laughs> yeah. So until then, next time we will see you, lovely listeners here on Nolan. <laughs> We have watched and waited.